Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Just breaking a little while ago, Oracle CEO Mark Hurd taking a leave of absence due to health-related reasons. The stock selling off after hours. A conference call expected within the hour. We'll keep you updated as the story develops. Then, if you didn't know, SAS, S-A-A-S, stands for Software as a Service, but it could soon stand for Software as a Source of Pain. Down 19% Zscalers. Hong Kong Stock Exchange launches an aggressive $37 billion bid for it. Wait for it. London Stock Exchange. We will get perspective from one of their biggest rivals. CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy uh, joins us exclusively here on set. But first, it's still on, and we are talking about the great rotation. So many here on this desk have been skeptical of, maybe even poo-pooing at times. Who's that? Take a look at these sectors showing continuing strength. The Russell. Banks. Retail, just to name a few. So what is going to make you a believer? Guy. It's a fascinating question. I mean, the market has an uncanny way, not that I need help, by the way, of making me look extraordinarily silly. And here we are, as, as we just heard, within a percent of the all-time high of the S&P 500, and everything looks fantastic. When do I become a believer? I, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but what I'll say is the headwinds that existed a couple weeks ago when it looked like we were staring in the abyss really haven't gone away all that much. Yes, rates have backed up a little bit. Probably a healthy move. Yes, the gold market isn't exploding to the upside. And maybe some of the concerns with the China deal and situation in Hong Kong have abated. But they haven't gone away. They're still there. The market's just looking past them. So I don't know how to answer that question because the concerns I have, I don't think it... uh, they don't get resolved in one day. Well, I know how to answer the question. Like when the rest of MAGA, nothing, when nothing rest, no, will make no, no, you a believer. It's very simple. When the rest of MAGA makes a new high, and Apple is on its way to doing that, uh-huh. it's about ten bucks from the all-time highs last September. I'd love to see Google um, and Amazon participate uh, again. Those are three and a half trillion dollars of you know mega cap, you know the largest names in the market. The other one, you know, you mentioned the Russell. Um, I'd like to see the Russell break out above this seven-month range and really kind of get people thinking about okay, well maybe small caps have digested a lot of the bad news and they're ready to go a little bit. So those are two areas I want to focus on. I'm not so interested in seeing Alcoa rally 20% off its, you know, five-year lows. That doesn't really convince me about too much yet. All right. Karen? You know, I, I sort of get, I love to buy when things are trading down in integers. I'm kind of more inclined to sell now that some things are trading up in integers. You know, last night I talked about taking a little money off the table selling by selling some J.P. Morgan calls. I... I I do own something like a United Rental. That has obviously participated to the downside hard and back to the upside hard. I still think it's attractive here. A name like FedEx that Tim and I talk about a lot. That's on no news whatsoever. It's gone from 149 to whatever, 171. I liked it higher than 171. So even though that one's up a lot, I'll hang on to things like that. The VIX today coming in a lot. I want to own volatility here because I think we are one tweet away from going back to those markets that we that seem so fresh in my mind. There could be any second we could be in them again. Tim, you've been sort of on board this rotation since it, uh, you, you pointed it out. You're sort of, uh, I don't want to say a believer, but you yeah. acknowledge its its presence in here. I so do. why don't you? Um, your friend Guy Adami, your fellow Georgetown alum, your, your yeah. Rangers compatriot here. <laughs> well, a, a what move, he's missing? A move from 325 down to 145 on the 10-year in, in effectively six months, maybe seven months, was, was uh, way, way too excessive relative to the fundamentals in, in the U.S. economy, maybe not to the global economy. And I, I continue to think that some of this rate dynamic was a function of Bund's 
pulling us down in a relative value trade. I do think um, some small, and this is not full reconciliation in Hong Kong, has been important to set the tone for at least where regionally there's a little more stability going into October talks, which I I think are very important, unfortunately. And I'm not sure what we're going to get out of that. But then we had reaffirmation of the U.S. consumer off a couple data points, and that's Mm -hmm. the ISM, the services ISM, which is really the backbone of our country, um, not a manufacturing uh, reading. And so while we know that PMIs are going down around the world, I think that's been part of the story. The the most important from a market perspective is I think we've had these rotations many times uh, in many cycles throughout the last two years. So it's easy to poo-poo that the market's done almost nothing. But I actually think, you know, if if you look at where retail is, retail underperformed the S&P by almost 20 percent for a year until suddenly it makes a lot of that back up recently. If you look at what's going on in transports and banks. But the thing about it is that the valuations to me um, do make some sense. And and we sat around here and we talked about food stocks. We talked about restaurant stocks. We talked about things that really were tough to explain. And I think the market's rationalization is that. Those things can only go so high, and and recession is off the table for the next six months. That's with a central bank at your back. That's been the justification, and it didn't happen three days ago. This happened three weeks ago when the rest of the world started rallying relative to our market. Thanks for educating us. But do you think that was particularly bullish when you had the president (laughs) of the United States suggesting that the bonehead Fed should go to to lower grades to zero zero or or possibly lower? Because to me, that doesn't elicit a whole heck of a lot of confidence in this economy that you think is picking up because you saw a good services number last week. So so you're talking about psychology 101. I'm I'm in an AP economics class. Again, the bottom line is I think you've got a case where um, the, the, the macro data doesn't add up to a market that should be falling off a cliff with, with central but, but, banks but seeing what it's they are. It's not. And you just mentioned that the last two years the market hasn't done much because you said that you've acknowledged the fact that we've seen lots of rotations. So, you know, the thing is, here we are at 3,000, the S&P 500, and we'll make a new high. Do you think we're going straight up? Do you think we're going to go to 30, 30, and then go straight up? You know, 5, 7, 8 percent? No. I don't know, I mean, but not, I'm not, not, uh, not particularly likely. If you look at over the last two years, when we've made a new incremental high, we've gone down a lot. I mean, we just I don't, I don't think I don't think mo- most of our audience is, is making a call on the market, you know, out so-and-so. I think people are investing in stocks. They are themselves rotating in and out. Um, the fact that the, the semis, which I think are, again, been an easy target of volatility, and, and the volatility in that space has been enormous, but semis are about to make another fresh high. And, and semis are still up almost now. They make that fresh high. They'll be up 9% from June of 2018 when everyone said, that's it. That's it for semis. Well, I'll take 10%, and I'll take 10% at a time when yeah, people don't believe adjusted, in the rest you of the You take world. 10%. They've had two 30% drops. Drawdowns. I mean, does that make you but feel good? But most people aren't trading those drawdowns. I, look, well, I, no, I understand standard deviations, Dan. Most, I get, most people are not. No, most no they're not. are invested not, in individual names. Look, I, where there happens the to be SMH, a lot of more the Again, I, I understand statistics and I understand they standard deviations, up. and we are split up. They but need to, to tell me that, that people should not have been investing in things that overall, That's fundamentally, their business model. But I'm not saying You are. You're saying that because they went up a lot and they went down a lot, they were uninvestable during this period. And I think most people aren't trading them like that. What's the flip side to not believing in this rotation? What's the flip side to this? So the flip yeah. side of where I am, I think right, right. just outlined a very... Don't, no, no. If you don't believe that this rotation is for real, right. what do the markets well, do? Well, I mean, there, there have been trading opportunities. Listen, I'm the first to tell you. I mean, I've thought the market's going down for quite some time. I don't hide from it. But within the context of that, we brought up some pretty good trading opportunities. You know, we, as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago... We power pitched a bank at a time when nobody liked oh, the bank. Citigroup, you did that, if you recall. Yes. I did, and that was pretty much universally, th- you know, poo pooed. You use that word, not me. Wow. 
by their viewing audience. And that stock's gone from 61.5. I think it closed at 69 today. So within the context of being a non-believer, there are trading opportunities. Again, my only point is everything that got us down to where we were a month and a half, two months ago, have not gone away. It's gotten a little bit clearer, but they haven't gone away. And I think at a 15 VIX, to Karen's point, it's just too, it doesn't make sense with the backdrop that, that's out there right now. All right. Well, our next guest says the value rotation can continue and new highs are coming with it. Let's bring in Marco Kalanovic, Global Head of Macro Quantitative and Derivative Strategy at J.P. Morgan. Marco, it's always great to see you. Thank you. So you have a bunch of skeptics on the desk in terms of this rotation. So what has, I mean, to answer Guy's original question, what has changed to make you believe that this value rotation is here? Well, first, positioning is extremely low. So if you look at the sort of hedge fund equity exposure, it's about zero percentile. So close to all-time lows matched in 2008. If you look at individual investors, so AAII bull bear sentiment, it's basically the same level as 2008. So a lot of bad things are already priced in the market, right? Like, and positioning is very low, then generally there's upside. That's pure mechanics. You know, this is not even uh, uh, economics 101. So, so it, that's... It was AP economics. A- okay, sorry. That was too <laughs> so... so uh, so that's, that's something that we can sort of hold on to, um, uh, low positioning. Uh, and then uh, you had some positive developments, what Tim mentioned already. You know, so you have a services in U.S. Uh, you had a little bit on Brexit, a little bit on Italy, a little bit on Hong Kong, SAR. Um, and then um, uh, you had this October negotiation. So if we, we have like two to three weeks before October um, where we still have a buyback full force. When the VIX declined from 22 to 14, 15, so all the sort of systematic folks will actually relever, and you have a discretionary investor who is basically zeroed investing in the market. So that's why we think it can continue. Now, why the value rotation can continue? So if people add to market, the first thing, they'll close the shorts. You know, and why? Like, so net positioning is a zero percentile, but gross positioning, gross exposure, according to JP Morgan Prime, is 99 percentile. So you have like a massive long short trade where people are super long, low vol, quality momentum and growth, and they're super short value. So if they want to increase the, increase the net exposure, I don't think they're going to triple, quadruple on software and stuff like that. They'll close some of the energy, oil and gas, some of the EM, some of the banks, um, you know, and other value stuff. So we think that this can continue. Okay? So it can continue, in our view, until October. In October, basically, you have negotiations. Anything can happen, right? So if the negotiations blow up, we go back. If negotiations actually produce some results, I think this can last for a full year, like in 2016 and 17, when it lasts more than 18 months. So, so this that's is a very strategic hmm. trade. So strategic is until October. Right. And in October, I think we need to reassess. If there is actually progress towards a trade deal, this can be new 2017 H2 plus 2000, uh, sorry, 2016 H2 plus 2017. So it can last another 18 months. If, the, if we have more of the same, Back, you know, no back resolution, forth, no back and forth, tweeting, tweeting and stuff like that. Then we go back to so where Guy thinks we'll so go. So when, when you say we, we could go back if there are stumbling blocks in trade, does that mean that we retest the 10-year yield lows? Uh, like, do I we go back we retest, to that I mean, sort of on the ten year, Yeah, on the 10-year stuff, we said we wrote something in already in August that big part, most of the 10-year move was sort of purely technical. So mortgage re- uh, hedging, uh, option gamma, right. insurance liability hedging, CTA going up to 500% on the, on the long bonds and stuff like that. So a lot of it was technical, not necessarily, oh, we're going to recession next week or next month. And what Tim said, sort of like when the services came out and even the sort of jobs number, we're not going next month. You know, who knows if there is no trade, we will as well may go in recession, but 
next two weeks, I don't think we're going to recession. So, so Marco, you know, Tim just mentioned the 10-year Treasury a year mm-hmm. on year. It's, you know, almost got caught in half, right? And we know where Fed funds is. It's still above mm-hmm. 2% here. So let's assume that the, some of the data does stabilize a little mm-hmm. bit. Some of the conversation around trade is okay. What does that mean? I mean, are we going to start seeing rates go back up quickly? I, think so. I, I mean, and then what does that mean for equities? I mean, because there was a time yeah. when everyone's convinced that, you know, rates can go up and stocks can go up at the same time. Yeah, and, and they did all the way until 330 or, or yeah. in 10 years, right? You know, like, so I think sort of from 140 to 170, I think is all positive. I think probably to 250 is all positive and to three, like we had last year in April. Uh, so yeah, at some point if, you know, but we're not yet there, far from there, right? We are at 170, right? So, so sort of uh, let's kind of think when we get there and if we get there, but I think sort of yields going higher is good for value. I think it's good for stock at this, at this point. You know, now bonds and equities are trading risk on, risk off. Fed is cutting, you know, so it's not that Fed is going to hike and rates are going to shoot up and equity is going to sell off. Fed is cutting, all, pretty much every central bank in the world is cutting. So there is a massive monetary stimulus. Keep in mind, monetary stimulus comes with a lag, hits the equity market with a lag like three, four, five, six months. So if we can bridge October, November, and December, you'll start seeing actually the monetary stimulus feeding into equity market. You also see credit inputs from China also lag like five, six months. You'll see that feeding. So again, I think we're vulnerable in October if we blow up again, like, like we did August 23rd with a tweet, right? But if these things can somehow go through in orderly fashion, ideally some progress being made, I think we can, we can go. Like, look, market didn't move for pretty much 18 months, right? You know, so, so I, I wrote that's like, 20th percentile, so very poor performance. You know, like in what you mentioned, Russell is actually flat since October 2017. I mean, maybe last two days uh, break that range, but for two years we didn't move, right? Like, so people say all-time highs, can we go higher? We, we really didn't move for 18 months or, or, or about. You know, like, so we could break out again if we have some normal uh, uh, sort of uh, political environment. Uh, central banks are easing and positioning is pretty much uh, close to zero. Marco, great to see you, Thank as you. always. Thank you. Marco Kalanovic. JP Morgan. Compelling argument. I mean, very. it's it's you know the bulls are in charge right now, and he makes it as did Tim. They they make a very compelling argument. I mean, my only pushback is again, things might have gotten better on the margins, but the problems that we were concerned about, at least that I was concerned about, really haven't gone all that away. And the fact that now, to Dan's point, you know, you're having a president saying that we should be at zero, if not lower, in rates. I mean, that to me is somewhat problematic. All right, let's get to the story that we're following for you in the after-hour session. Oracle shares are down, um, reporting earnings a day early, with CEO Mark Hurd announcing that he will take a leave of absence for health-related uh, reasons. Uh, the stock is now down 2%. It had been down by as much as 4.5%, here, so it's recovered 2% here. It's recovered a bit. What do you, what do you make of this? Yeah, I, I think that obviously it's aftermarket here, and investors don't like these sorts of surprises, mm-hmm. and we're hoping that Mark Hurd's um, just fine, but I think the results probably look okay. Um, that was probably a knee jerk reaction. I think it's important to go back and remember that last quarter, that Q4 that they reported, was pretty good. The stock broke out to a new all time high, so here it is back up at those levels. I think if you like value and you like some of the secular trends that this company is involved in, then you probably like Oracle at 55 bucks. The team without Mark Hurd is pretty solid. I mean, Larry yeah. Ellison is still there, Safra Katz, right. is still CEO, Karen. Co-CEO, yeah. right. So that's interesting. Rarely do you get sort of two, uh, you know, a triumvirate, and two of them are very seasoned, and obviously uh, Ellison, uh, you know, as a founder. So I think from that standpoint, um, I think investors should feel okay about it. I'm curious, though, about, I don't know what the duty of the board of the, is how much information do they do they need to give? You know, it's uh, I, I, this came up a lot when Steve Jobs was sick. I think the board then handled it very poorly. Not so, good disclosure, and then later more disclosure. I I, I don't know what the duty is. So but more, this brings more up a detail question. around right. the more health-related issues. Right, 
And, and therefore, let's not read too much into it. Is that the conclusion? Because I they feel so. that they have to do it in an overly compliant board environment that most boards follow, not all of them. Um, is that what you mean? Well, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what their duty is. I don't know what, what they feel their duty is. Um, but coming back to the original point, I do think you're in good hands still with both Ellison and Seth. So, quickly, Oracle, the stock, you know, we've spent so much time talking about software failing and all these high, you know, essentially these high growth stories that, that really have been the, the byproduct of this sell-off and rotation. Oracle is not a high multiple stock. This is a value play in the middle of the software space. I like it. Mm-hmm. Guy? And the margins were better than the street was expecting. Listen, you can quibble over EPS, maybe a slight miss in terms of revenue, but margins are hanging in there, better on the cloud side of things. So at 13 times, I think the sell for the magnitude we saw 20 minutes ago is overdone. Respectfully, I think, you know, Larry Ellison and Safra Katz are more than capable of picking up the slack in the interim. Yeah, guys, but not a growth story either. They may no. manufacture EPS growth, but this is a low single-digit uh, sales grower, and they need to do it by making massive acquisitions every few years. So to me, I, I think they're just kind of different buckets when we're thinking about um, some of the software names that are pretty, a little bit more exciting. Coming up, hospital stocks getting a boost, but Jeffries has got one chart that could spell ill will for the group. Plus, Apple getting boosts on the reveal of its new iPhones, but there could be some headwinds facing the product that might signal the iPhone super cycle's end. We will explain. For Live from Times Square in New York City, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's do a checkup on the hospital stocks, catching a bit in the past week with shares of Tenet Health leading the group up nearly 26%. Now, this comes as a broader healthcare sector has lagged the markets this year up just 6%. And take a look at this chart by Jefferies. This is by the Jefferies Healthcare Analyst. Um, and what you're seeing here is the blue line is the spread between Biden and Warren. So the spread between Biden and Warren, as that narrows or goes down, the healthcare sector, XLV, which is in the orange, also goes down. So as Warren's chances look better, healthcare stocks do worse. So now we're handicapping the potential Democratic yes. nominee in terms of, I guess it makes sense. And in it terms seems of, to work. Look, in terms of the hospitals, at a certain point this became a valuation story, and we've mentioned tenant healthcare before. Now you're looking at it, I mean, it's still in a pretty significant downtrend if you go back to the last couple of years. So maybe it is time to take some money off the table. Then you go downstream, you look, a lot of these big cap pharma names have been whacked on different things. I think Nancy Pelosi made some comments recently. Valuation is going to come into play again. So although I hear exactly what you're saying, if you're going to try to handicap the election and overlay the stocks, it's going to be hard. I would look at it and say certain stocks are too cheap. Biogen, to me, is just too cheap. I think UNH at current levels is still too cheap, and the sell-off to me and Pfizer is overdone. So if you look at someone like HCA, the the chart, though, even with all this volatility, is basically sideways on a slightly downward trajectory that Guy's talking about. And, and you know, we've we've done this every political cycle. So you really have to look at it. And they they just reported second quarter numbers, slight miss. Um, People were more concerned around some of the credit dynamics within the sector, and I think some of those fears have been allayed. I don't think you have to run out and buy any of these stocks, especially if you think that these headlines are those correlations, because those aren't going away. I agree. They're I, not only not going away, I think they're going to get worse. And I think that um, I don't know that, you, you know, they probably bottom before the resolution of who the next president is going to be. But I feel like we have so much time between then and now that I just kind of want to stay away. For a while. So it is, in fact, a sector that will be buffeted by the political winds, let's say. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think back to 2015, 16, and I think it was both sides. Uh, yeah. both it's sides. like their tweets it, it seemed like a, it, it's, it's a very popular bipartisan issue. So yeah. we can focus on the Dem nominees right now. That may cause some volatility or suppress volatility. But I think when you get into the general, you're going to see it increase. And if you look at the XLV, I'm looking at it four times over the last five years. There's been at least one. Uh, there's been four 10% plus peak to trough decline. So, you know, you, you get sell-offs wow. from highs and you get the opportunity. A lot of these stocks are cheap stocks. We're talking about value. So if, you know, I think these are names that you probably want to buy when you get these blow-ups. I know you guys are talking about you think Pfizer's huge. When Bristol blows up, you know, some of those single names seem kind of yeah. interesting. The, de- the debate where all the Dems are going to mm-hmm. be on stage all at once for the first time. can only imagine. Time <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how you get that. What is it? The blue line that represents the Warren view, and that's it's the, the blue line was a spread between the Warren spread and Biden, so the two front runners. Got it. So Got as it. Well, Warren advances. My, my, my guess is those things crisscross every debate, though, because it's be. based upon the political Could wins be. and the support there. But. All right. For more on health care and the elections, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Restoration hardware up 20 percent in one week. Time to redecorate your portfolio? Plus, in an aggressive move, Hong Kong Stock Exchange makes a $37 billion bid for the London Stock Exchange. We'll get a take from one of their largest competitors with CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy. Fast Money will be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Apple getting a nice boost off the back of its big event yesterday, touching that trillion-dollar market cap once again in today's trade. Apple went all in on their newest slate of products, including a streaming service and no less than three brand-new phones. But there are plenty of questions about whether these new gadgets can fill the gap until 5G. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with more on this. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, Apple announcing that trio of new iPhones, faster processor, longer-lasting battery, better cameras. A question for investors, did Apple offer enough for consumers with these new phones to keep the iPhone franchise at least basically stable for the next few quarters until 5G hits, as we expect next year? D.A. Davidson's Tom Forte says yes. He now projects low single-digit revenue decline. One surprise for some was the price, that new iPhone 11, the success Successor to the 10R will be $50 less at $699, but that was the right move, at least Forte is arguing, because this smartphone market is mature, he says, and it's a way to encourage more people to upgrade. Even as the iPhone franchise faces challenges, bulls like Forte are counting on strong performance from wearables. Apple announced a new watch for $399, and the Series 3 is now going to cost $199. Our own Jim Cramer saying today that price point, in his words, will explode the watch, meaning he thinks we're going to see a lot more buyers. Then there are the services. It's gaming service, Apple Arcade, which will cost $4.99, and Apple TV Plus will cost the same. And Apple's going to include one year of the streaming service with new hardware purchases. In a note to his clients today, Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi called that bundling strategy extremely clever, saying that Apple TV Plus could now reached by his math 200 million apple customers in its first year melissa back to you all right josh thank you josh lipton now investors may not be totally sold on apple's new batch of iphones but analysts are loving that 499 price tag on apple tv plus barkley says the pricing should help gain an initial audience while morgan stanley says it gives apple a competitive advantage over other streaming services it's also bundled free for a whole year with any new iphone purchase so um, with no 5g until next year is that the main incentive to buy one of these right now 
Dan. Uh, you know, listen, I think we learned this from Disney earlier in the year with their pricing of their thing. If you come in at like half the price of the average Netflix subscriber you know, or subscription plan, it works. I mean, so that's the sort of price point where you don't have to think much about it. And I think to the point that Josh made, they're going to upload millions and millions of users who just buy a phone this year, you know, and, and get them on there. And that's really the most important thing. It's going to be a sticky product, especially if you have Apple. It, isn't that the, the power of the installed base? It yeah. sounds like what you're totally. saying. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time we've really been able to say, hey, you know what, actually for a billion and a half, you get it for free, or maybe it's not the full install base, but that, that will get people on this, this thing. And it's not even that it works. What it, what it does do is it re-rates the stock. I mean, whether people are actually excited about this or not. This re-rates the stock? It, it is. I mean, look at this the move. Strategy. What, what, what was there in the last 24 hours out of this announcement? No, no, that I, I understand that the stock has gone higher, but does it stay higher and does it merit the, the re-rating that it's gotten, I guess. I think it's reminding people that this is not, they're not really owning it as much for the hardware story. They're owning it for the, for the bells and the whistles and the things that are slowly coming forward. And I, I just, again, this is that same momentum call. I think analysts have been offsides on this. I think so is the, you know, the sentiment. We got some breaking news here on Smile Direct. Uh, it has priced its IPO. Leslie Pickers on the phone with the details. Leslie. Hi, Melissa. This is according to a source familiar with the matter, Smile Direct Club. Pricing its IPO at $23 a share. That's a dollar above the range. Uh, that would imply a $1.3 billion offering size and an $8.9 billion valuation. If they are able to trigger the green shoe and sell 15% more stock in the IPO, which would take place if that stock rose, uh, you know, after that stock started trading, it would be the fourth largest IPO listed in the U.S. this year. So Smile Direct Club pricing at $23 a share, a dollar above the range. That stock will begin trading listing, listed tomorrow uh, on the NASDAQ. Back over to you. All right, Leslie, thank you. So again, Smile Direct above the range, and it's priced 23 bucks a share. Um, I don't know why I want to go to you, Guy, but... Uh, because you know I'm going to make fun. I get, well, I'm going to make a, a British joke and say maybe they should go to their addressable audience in the U.K. and they would be crushing it right now instead of $23. But you're not going to do that. But so, I'm not going to right. say that. Yeah. But we've seen other names in the space have had a rough go of it over the last few months. So good for them for pricing above the expected price. Good for the NASDAQ for getting the listing. And we'll see how it trades from here. Yeah. Um, this uh, is a stock that doesn't have that much competition. No, they don't. It, it's, it's also, look, this just stands out by the fact that this was a stock that was being priced you know, two weeks ago um, at 2050 in the midpoint of the range at a billion and a half. So um, they're now up over 10% over that level, and that's something we haven't seen in any IPO environment recently. Yeah. I mean, there is some regulatory risk to this one. Apparently, some uh, orthodontists say that not everybody is is suitable, is a suitable candidate. Can for, we have Guy try these out and, and, and Actually, monitor him? I mean, forget the taste maybe. tests, right? I mean, has all, taste six all months, Is it a six-month commitment to straighten my... See, when I was a kid, we didn't have any money, and the, the, we didn't get braces like all the rich kids from Scarsdale and stuff, so this would be a new experience <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have braces, pal. You only right? have perfect pearly <laughs> whites on his own. They just came out like I'd this. be willing to do that for the show. Can yeah. we go back to Apple, or no? Are we still doing this? Do you want to button Apple up here? I think Apple deserves a conversation, because Tim said and it got your kind of antennas up a little bit that the stock's being re-rated by this new streaming service. I guess the point that I would make is it's moving you closer towards Apple Prime, right? And, and so this whole bundling of all these so- sorts of services. And some services, we can't put a number on Apple Pay, but it's a pretty useful thing. It keeps you in the ecosystem. So the more things that they can do like that that aren't costing a ton of money the way it costs, let's say, Netflix to create original content, yeah. um, you know, to me, I, I get what you're saying 100%. All right. 
Coming up, the chairman and CEO of the CME Group will join us next. He'll weigh in on the global exchange uh, grab and what that signals for markets everywhere and whether or not the CME is interested in making a bid itself. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange making a $37 billion bid today for the London Stock Exchange. Hong Kong execs say the deal would be a means of connecting trade between the East and the West. Joining us to weigh in is someone who knows a great deal about exchanges because he runs one. Let's bring in Terry Duffy, chairman and CEO of the CME Group. Terry, it's great to have you here on set. Welcome to Fast Money. Well, thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of your show and all your hosts here. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being a loyal viewer. Uh, What do you make of this deal? And is CME Group tempted to... Enter the waters? <laughs> well, first of all, it's a, it's a very uh, full price, as we say in the business. Um, You've got to realize that the price that the Hong Kong exchange came out with is 22% on top of when the Refinitiv deal was announced. So that would make it a, technically a 42% premium to uh, LSE's original price when they came out on Refinitiv. So a very, very uh, rich uh, offer by Hong Kong on this transaction. You know, for CME, I, I've been very fortunate to put many pieces of the puzzle in place, which others are now trying to compete with on that, uh, on that playing field. So when I did the Board of Trade in 07, New York Mercantile Exchange in 08, you know, I'm very focused on that growth of the business. And then obviously just completing the next transaction, uh, NEX Exchange out of London uh, in November, we're integrating that. So as I tell people, I'm focused on integrating that business and growing ours. So, you know, from CME's perspective, we're very pleased with what we have in place today. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying that you would not make any sort of competing offer for LSE. You wouldn't get You know, we don't comment on that, Melissa, to be honest with you. I will just tell you how I feel about the business. Mm -hmm. I buy things that are very compelling for my clients that are users of the, the marketplace. And that's why the next transaction, NEX transaction was very compelling for my users because you're going to have, for the first time, cash, secure, uh, cash uh, treasuries alongside the largest futures exchange uh, treasury platform in the world, largest EBS uh, alongside of CME's uh, FX platform. You don't ever see that in any other exchange. So that, to me, is compelling. I have to would ask you what would be compelling about LSE when you look at what they have today. They have the LCH, the London Clearinghouse, which I would assume... Regulators would have a big issue with me as the largest clearinghouse in the world trying to acquire that. And then when you look at the other businesses they have, they have the Frank Russell business, which is a very good business, but I just signed a 10-year deal with them to exclusively trade that product. So what else is left? You'd have to say the cash exchange business. And as you know, we are very much not involved in the cash trading of these products. So um, you never say never to anything, but I, I think I clearly outlined where our business plan is. In terms of the blueprint for what a CME uh, acquisition could be, uh, how should we think about that? What areas are there geographies or technologies that we should be thinking about? Well, I, I think when you've got to look at your client. Well, how, how can you make your client more efficient going forward. And if you can make your client more efficient, you should make that acquisition because that's what will pay your shareholders. I'm very focused. I tell my shareholders all the time, the last person you want to see is me. You want me with my clients, and that's what I do. I'm very focused on working with the clients, checking their needs. I traded for 23 years in the marketplace. I have a good understanding of the market, so I know what clients I believe need, and I want to make sure I can help provide that to them where others can't. So that's where I believe the scale works, and you have to look around the different spectrums and technology and others to make the efficiency of the marketplace. Terry, going to CME specifically, Specifically, you're coming off the best August ever, I think, average daily volume, I think you're up 53% or yep. some ridiculous number year over year, understanding 
that this August was different than last August. What do you attribute that growth to, and can that sustain itself? Well, here, guys, it's hard to predict what future volumes are, but it's not only the, sec- it, uh, the biggest August we've had, it's the second biggest month in the history of CME. So August, as we know, is traditionally a slower month because Europe goes to sleep. Those days are long gone. So we've been, I think what you can attribute it to is when you look at, we've been talking a lot about rates. You guys talk about rates all the time. People are trying to understand what the rate market means. And just because rates are coming next to zero does not mean you will not have interest rate exposure. You could take rates negative, and as long as they move into negative, you're going to have rate exposure of some time because there will be different prices for different people on different things. Unless credit cards went negative, and I don't believe that's the case, mortgages in Denmark have gone negative for one person. I think there's still a lot of rate exposure out there, and we saw a lot of positioning in our marketplace to do that. So you get the efficiencies of the swaps. The, the, the dollar-denominated swaps coming into our interest rate portfolio. You create an extra $3 billion of margin efficiencies for our clients. Very attractive uh, proposal, and you saw a lot of that movement coming in through the month of August. Would you say that the month of August being such a stellar month was because of the rate volatility, and if that dies down, then do you not repeat that? No, well, I think it's hard to say because we trade multiple asset classes, Melissa, and I think that's the beauty of CME's model. You know, people talk a lot about the VIX. Uh, I, I heard uh, my friend Karen talking earlier about how she wants to have exposure to the VIX a little bit for volatility reasons. But what the VIX that you all talk about is basically the equity volatility that you're referring to. The VIX in of itself, you look at volatility in all these other asset classes, whether they're foreign exchange, whether they're energy. All, we trade all these yeah. products. So that's what's attractive about CME. You have to understand volatility today is measured completely different than when I first grew up in the business knowing my friend Guy Adami over here. The tolerance for volatility is completely different. So when you have movements like you have in the marketplaces today, people kind of dismiss them. They won't dismiss them in certain things, but right now they're dismissing these volatilities, and so I think they're pricing vol a little bit different than they historically did, and they're pricing it on equities only. They're not taking the rest of the spectrum into consideration. Speaking of all, uh, you must have heard of J.P. Morgan's Volfefe Index. J.P. Morgan's? Volfefe Index. I have not heard of that. Oh, which basically uh, it tracks Trump's tweets and the volatility. In, oh, I'm sorry. I did in, hear of that, yes. In, yeah. Could there be a product tied to that in, in some time? In, not at in CME, either. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, Terry, it's great to see you. Thank you very much for Thank having me. So I appreciate Come it. Come back Thank anytime. You. Thank you. Terry Duffy. You know, he, he makes a fascinating point because, you know, we focus most of the show on equity. Yes. But when you think about the volatility in all these other asset classes and where the futures on those asset classes are trading, and that's one of the reasons why this stock has been a rocket ship for like three straight years now. And what have we seen in 16 and 17? We've seen uh, fixed income volatility, currency volatility, yeah. commodity volatility. Currency and volatility. every once in a while, the VIX gets above 20, but we spend a lot of time talking about that. What I hate, or you know, as a long investor, it's delightful for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'd be decently hedged, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, it's been an amazing story. You know, sold off the last couple, about two, three sessions. But what a great run! Excellent job. Yeah. Yeah. Simply, you know, derivative on the derivative markets that they trade. These guys, there's a battleground over data within the exchange community too, and this is an incredibly valuable asset that I think is becoming some way people look at the valuations of these companies. Yeah, it's amazing how how often we'll get an email from Terry mid-show. It's incredible. Yeah, something <laughs> and I say all the time that we've be, said. Be shocked <laughs> at who watches the show. Well, I've never gotten one, so guy, you seem to get all of them. <laughs> um, full disclosure, I've known Terry for a long time. He's, yeah. We were in the same world for a lot of years, right. and that doesn't mean he's not one of the great CEOs in the United States. 
case. And that doesn't mean the stock still can't go higher. Just because I like them doesn't mean I'm cloudy. Just because you like and, you, you mean. Or we like yeah, yeah. There's a mutual love fist. The knock quickly on CME mm-hmm. valuation 28 times. People say it's expensive. Yes, it's sold off, I think, 8% over the last couple trading sessions. I think you've got to buy the stock again. All right, coming up, a number of software stocks getting slammed today. And our Dan Nathan says this could be the start of even more pain for the space. He will explain, plus check out shares of Aurora Cannabis burning out in the after-hour session off its earnings release. We'll break down the results and what it means for the cannabis craze. Much more Fast Money right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's Blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence, Tox Economy and Trade War Impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a buzzkill. A number of software as a service stock, SaaS. Uh, getting smacked, and Dan says cracks are appearing in a few more names in the space. SAS cracks. Uh, oh, nice, nice Did you just make that up? Hey, you know, you know this one's interesting. So <laughs> no. Zscaler, this was a, we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of these IPOs that are coming to market now. We're talking about their lack of profitability, and we're talking about their growth and the multiples that investors are willing to pay for that growth. But here's one from last year. It was a very hot stock last year. It's down 20% today on a different, uh, disappointing outlook. And now it's down about 40-some percent from its all-time highs just made a couple of months ago. And so I think these are names that you really want to keep an eye on because I think they really speak to investor sentiment away. And there's some other ones. You know, we saw... uh, Slack, the uh, ticker W-O-R-K, that listed through a direct listing back in June. That's also down 40% below its highs right after that listing. Um, broke price earlier. Uh, you know, once these things break price, sometimes it's hard for them to get back. Not that it was a, you know, a traditional IPO, but there's other names out there. I think it's important to look at these for sentiment. And then I'll just take it, uh, uh, you know, a step further. Look at ServiceNow. Look at Workday, down 23%. These are big market cap companies. These companies that do have profitability marginally. Um, on a, an adjusted basis, on a gap basis, um, they do not. But these stocks are starting to sell off. So keep an eye on these names. And I guess the last one is just the big kahuna, the OG SaaS name, which would be what? Salesforce, right, Karen? Uh, this one had really good numbers. The OG. Yeah. OG. What do we call it? What's original, an OG? An original, original gangster. Yeah, Mark Benioff. He's original gangster. You know that guy? Yeah, of course he does. He made it ben, up. He also knows what a goat is, don't you? Greatest of all, all time. time. I think, think Benioff's a goat. That one has not gotten above its post-earnings pop from last month, too. So this is a group I think you should really focus on. Watch the price action here. It could be a leading indicator of some other tech names. This goes back to the whole rotation, though, also, that we're talking about yeah. in terms of out of high valuation well, that's stocks. A, I mean, you go to Workday's quarter on, I think it was September 3rd. It wasn't a bad quarter. Actually, margins were much better. Beat on revenue, beat on EPS, but then people said, wait a second, it's trading 80 times forward earnings in this environment. It's unsustainable, which is why, although the stock has come off significantly, it, I think it has further room to the downside. Just in this rotation, I mean, uh, value was so undervalued, and then right. growth at any price, literally any price, like a Mongo, Twilio, Roku. I mean, your whole list of them, yeah. the SaaS crack list. I like that very much. So I think even if the market, I think if the market goes down or up, you could still continue to see that rotation trade happening because it had diverged so much. ridiculous. Let's take a look at shares of Aurora Cannabis feeling the heat in the after-hour session after reporting earnings. So uh, 
It was a 9% move at last check. Tim, what do you make of it? Yeah, trying to go through these numbers. They, see, on the revenue line, it, it looks like we're getting a report here in Canadian dollars. And if you get a report in Canadian dollars at 98.7, they guided at 100 to 107 in the you know, middle of August, which, which would have actually been a strong numbers. In fact, that was actually at the time considered to be very optimistic. Look, the bottom line for the entire sector is, although the top line is good, it's really about the profitability. And we need to see uh, gross margins for this company, which, you know, if you look at some of the U.S. numbers, names that have announced over the last two to three weeks, they've had gross margins between 40 and 55 percent. So the EBITDA loss here was slightly better than expected based upon a top line revenue uh, miss, which, you know, frankly, if they can't guide correctly three weeks earlier and they're this far off the map, that's also a concern. So right now, just going through these numbers, um, the key is that Aurora is one of the two biggest players in the biggest legal federal market in the world, whether you, you believe that's the place you should be investing or not. And the valuations are inflated relative to the size of their market and really what these guys have been doing. That's why you're getting these reactions when these stocks miss. All right. Speaking of earnings here, Broadcom also gearing up to report after the bell tomorrow. The options traders are betting the semi-stock will surge on the results. We'll bring you the options action next. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is breaking down the big moves in tech today. He's got more on that. At the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the, to- at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chipmaker Broadcom gearing up to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. And options traders are betting the semi-stock could surge higher on the results. Dan's breaking down all the action. Dan, what are you looking at? Yeah, so interestingly, you know, the implied move in the options market is about 5% for Broadcom. And that's about in line with the average move over the last four quarters here. And I just wanted to break this down real quickly. So two times average daily volume today. Um, We talk all about um, implied movement. And I think here's a good example of just how we figure that out. You know, you would take the weekly at the money straddle. What is that in? Um, in Broadcom here, you would take the weekly at the money 297.5 call, which is offered at about $7 going out today, and the 297.5 put going out today. You put that together, that's 14 bucks. That's the straddle. If you bought the implied movement between now and Friday's close, you would either need a $14 rally to the upside or a $14 decline to the downside. That's a pretty wide range if you think about it, but in line with how this stock has moved over the last four quarters. Let's just go to the chart really quickly here. Obviously, it's been in a nice little uptrend. Um, since the lows this year, up 17% on the year. But interestingly, massively underperformed the SMH. That's the ETF that tracks the um, semiconductor group, which is up 37%. There's the overlay of those two. Tim said earlier in the show, the SMH looks like it's about to break out here. Avago or Broadcom has um, a way to go here. One of the reasons for this underperformance, we know that they just brought Semantics um, Enterprise business here. They've been uh, really acquisitive over the last few years. So that might be keeping some wraps on the multiple for now. Yeah, guy. Okay. And the levels that Dan points out, I mean, th- I think 318 was the previous all-time high back in April. So given the parameters he's talking about, maybe it takes a run at those levels and maybe it tops out there. So I think, I think there's a good chance we make a run given the environment we're seeing, but I think you pull the ripcord if it gets to 318. All right, for more options action, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we've got the final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim. 
Hi, I'm um, talking about Verizon, <laughs> talking about telcos. I do think despite the fact that AT&T has its, had its rally, I think some of this spills over to Verizon. The core business is alive, but I do think the media business has more value than people think. Hi. Hi. This is going in the best of Tim Reel. Yeah. Um, for my final trade, Oracle. I, I think it's going to be down tomorrow, but if it's down, a lot more down. I think about two bucks now. I think it's an opportunity, especially if it's down on the Mark Heard news. We wish him well, but uh, I think it's a great company, not expensive. Dan? Uh, yeah, so the Apple Plus pricing not only hit Netflix, it hit Disney yesterday. And I think that's one that as we get into the fall, you're going to see some momentum about that story. So to me, I think you can buy that here, and I think you want to use a 130 stop to the downside near term. Guy Dami. Aren't you a Terry Duffy fan? I mean, one of the of great fast money guests, right? Yes. Solid. And a loyal viewer. A loyal viewer. Great day to have him on. I mean, great day to have him on. on. Lyft, listen, I understand some of the headline has been negative, but you're getting some decent news out of California. The quarter was good if you go back three or four weeks ago. L-Y-F-T. All right, that does it for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Jim Crane will begin in just a few moments. But before we go, we'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment to remember those who were lost this day 18 years ago. We will never forget.